Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Jason Surferapp with me. You may know Jason as Jason Surferapp or JasonHeadsets.com or Jason Sadler. We'll get into why all the different last names. Jason had made $1 million wearing t-shirts to promote businesses. His unconventional thinking enables him to create business opportunities, which he documents in his book, creativity for sale. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here, Jason. You have had so many unique marketing ideas that it's hard to know <laughs> which one to start with. Um, but tell me how you got started with I Wear Your Shirt, a company that used sponsored uh, t-shirt to promote businesses on social media. Yeah, I uh, back in 2007, I left my, my nine to five job working for a sports agency to uh, start a design company with a friend. And, and while at the, that, that design company, we had a lot of our clients ask us about social media. And so this was like 2007, 2008, before anything you know, really took off in social media time. Um, and I just saw an opportunity where brands wanted to reach people and that people were on these platforms. And so I thought I could kind of fill in the gap and be the guy that promoted a company via social media um, and, and create a unique way to do that through this company, I Wear Your Shirt. And so how did you even come up with that idea? I mean, it's, it's, an, it's a genius idea uh, to wear a company's shirts, but, I mean, was there a process to it, or one day you just, it just came to you? Yeah, I think it kind of, the idea just kind of came together through uh, looking at these different free platforms, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, um, seeing that people were just posting content and that a lot of people were able to talk to each other quickly. And, and so I, those things were working in my mind, and, and I remember one day standing in my closet, you know, as, as most guys do, staring at all these shirts and just not caring which one I was going to put on for the day. And as a, an entrepreneur and somebody who works for myself, I, mean, I didn't have to wear a suit and tie or anything. So it was actually more trouble to pick my outfit than it was to have it picked for me. So I just said, you know, I've got all these shirts that already have brand names on them. Why not try and get brands to pay me to wear their shirts? That seems interesting. And that's kind of where things started. And how much outreach did you have to do initially? And did people even take it seriously? Did they think it was a joke of some kind when you first tried to reach out to people? Yeah, well, I, I originally sent the idea to a bunch of my friends, and uh, you know, and, and probably more than half of them, rightly so, said, "Jason, this is a stupid idea. You know, we're in a recession right now. No one's going to want to pay you to wear T-shirts. You know, go go back to doing whatever you were doing." And and so, you know, I, I, I got that feedback and said, all right, well, that's their opinion. I, I still think this is an exciting idea. And so I had a website built, and IWearYourShirt.com, you know, was, was put up in October of 2008. And only 12 people showed up to the website on launch day. And I was really bummed because I thought I had come up with this amazing idea, and yet no one seemed to care. Um, so as you mentioned, you know, I, I, I did some outreach. I started emailing some of my contacts, and I didn't have many, just friends and family. I didn't know any businesses. And, uh, and just started to say, hey, here's the idea, personalized emails, you know, didn't mass email them, and got some, started to get some interesting feedback, and people started to see, oh, you know, I can, I can buy a day, you know, I was selling this, this whole 2009 calendar, starting at a dollar on the first day, two dollars on the second day, all the way up to 365 on the last day, so it was very affordable, I mean, cheap to get on board early, and, and so that outreach really started to help, and, and I jumped on Twitter and started looking at hashtags and started out replying people and, and following interesting people and just jumping in conversations and not trying to sell. But I think when people saw the, the username, I wear your shirt, it, they were intrigued by it and they started kind of looking into it. So, you know, that was, that was really how the outreach started. 
um, when I when I first got it launched. So initially, you didn't think about you know giving up maybe because some of the feedback that you received, uh, you had enough positive feedback to kind of keep you going. Yeah, I think I, I definitely I I will never forget this moment. I was sitting on my couch um, and this was like you know, right before the website was launching and I had, you know, I'd reached, you know, a couple friends and family had told me like this, you know, this wasn't a great idea. And, and I, I just sat there and I said, you know what, how many successful businesses are out there where people have told the owners of those businesses that that idea probably wouldn't work, right? I mean, we've all heard those stories, so many success stories. And so I just told myself that, you know, listen, I believe in this idea. I think it's interesting. I, you know, I had set myself up to only try it for a year. So I said, you know, worst thing that happens I put this out there and no one buys and, you know, who's going to care, right? Uh, and I'll just move on with my life. And, and, and luckily people did start to care. And so I, I, I just kind of trudged forward and said, I'm going to make this thing happen because I think it's interesting. So, you know, I wear your shirt sounds like a lot of fun, but, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of learning there. Um, what were the most important things that you have learned during your I Wear Your Shirt project? Oh man, uh, lots of things. Uh, you know, I think a lot of them, you know, from owning a business, uh, what it's like to manage people and that, you know, that's not one of my strong suits, um, you know, to things like, you know, really realizing, and, and we all preach this and we read this, but, you know, quality of content, of content wins over quantity of content. And, and, you know, I, I got, you know, every day I was filming a video, I was, I was putting tweets, I was putting Facebook posts up, um, you know, putting out a lot of content. And, you know, the quality wasn't phenomenal in the beginning. And I even go back and watch some of my early videos and I, I cringe at them. But I had to learn. I mean, I'd never made a video before. So I, I just kind of jumped in and said, I'm going to try this and I'm going to try and get better. And and so, yeah, it was, it was just always a learning process for me. And, and what I kept telling myself, you know, every time I put something out there was, what can I learn from this? You know, when I when I put things out there in this way, uh, whether that's you know a, a critical remark or whether that's a happy photo of me smiling or a video this way or that way, and, and just all these different things, what can I learn from each thing each time, and how can I improve upon it and and really build something that people want to kind of consume every day? Um, so that's kind of the lens that I looked at it through. So in uh, 2012 and 13, uh, you took it even, f you know, you, another great idea <laughs> when you uh, auctioned off your last name to the highest bidders. Where did that idea come from? Yeah, I, uh, you know, over the years having the company, I reassure, we, we always got, I say we, because there were multiple people that were a part of it over the years. It wasn't just me, you know, in the beginning it was, but it grew. And I was always trying to find ways to get exposure for the, for I reassure, because, you know, when you do something every single day, you know, sometimes people can forget about it and they'll say, oh, I'll come back to that because there'll always be more. So I was always trying to get attention and, and media attention and, and just get more exposure so I could grow it and get you know more brands to come on board. And an unfortunate situation happened in early 2012. My mom called me and said she was getting a divorce, and and unfortunately that was my third father at the time. And so you know I, I had this last name now that I no longer wanted, which was Sadler. And I just joked when we were on a call and just said, oh well you know I've sold my T-shirts now I'll sell my last name, and we laughed. And a couple of months later, uh, we were sitting at, you know, in a meeting with, with Ivory Shirt and the people that work for me. And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to do this last name thing. Like I joked about it, but I can't stop thinking about it kind of in the way that Ivory Shirt, I couldn't stop thinking about that. Um, you know, I've built an audience over the years. I think that's valuable for a brand to be a part of. And, you know, I couldn't really find anybody that had done this in a way where they were putting it up for auction and, and saying like, hey, I'll, I'll be your company basically uh, on paper, you know, for the next year. 
so I, I had the website by my last name built, started the auction at zero dollars. Um, I built a pre-launch email list of like 600 people, nothing crazy. And in the first 24 hours, the bidding was up over 30,000 bucks. And I knew that I was kind of onto something, um, even though I had a lot of doubts along the way. And, you know, that idea, I mean, you want to talk about people giving you negative feedback. Uh, tell people you're going to sell your last name. Uh, that really brings the anger, the angry people out of the woodworks. Give me some examples of negative feedback, uh, because I think um, people need to hear some of that. And because I mean, you still kept going, right? I mean, it didn't yeah. really stop you. So I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, there were so many emails, and, and I've over the years. I mean, when you do anything kind of, I think, unconventional or different or unique, you're always going to get people who are jealous or they're angry at their thing that they can't do something unique, and so they kind of take that out on you. Um, and so, you know, just a lot of messages, especially with the last name thing that this is the ultimate sellout, you know, how can you do this? You know, you're like this, you have no soul, you know, and, and these types of things. And, and I'd mm -hmm. be lying if I said that they didn't hurt me a little bit, but I'm the type of person who I never got my sense of self from my last name. I mean, that's, I've had three of them throughout my life, right? And most people have one last name, so it makes sense to them to keep it and they'll have it forever. But I, that's not who I am. That's not kind of how I was, was raised and what uh, I was grown up with. So, yeah, it was really interesting for me to kind of hear that feedback. Um, and this constant vein of you're a sellout um, is just so interesting to me because every project I've done, whether it's, you know, I Reassured or Selling My Last Name or my book, which I'm sure we'll talk about, has involved doing something that I just really enjoyed and I've had a lot of fun with. And it's been hard, but it's been something that I control and I, you know, really, really like being a part of doing these projects. And the people that I think are sellouts are ones who take money for stuff that they don't love doing, right? Which is a lot yeah. of people who work at jobs at cubicles and no offense if you have a job at a cubicle, but if you're going to call me a sellout and yet you sit there and you hate your job and you go home every day wishing you were doing something else, you know, to me, that's selling out, not, not selling your last name for a year and then changing it to whatever you want. I think, I mean, I don't know. I'm not trying to figure out or or know what these people think, but a lot of times it's fear that's speaking, I think. Of course. You know? Absolutely. And, I, I, I totally agree. And, and I think that I've actually turned people who've sent me angry emails or angry comments on a blog post or whatever, I've turned them into fans. Not because I've had some magical thing, but I just told them, hey, listen, I understand that this may make you feel a certain way or that you don't like it, but like, here's the reason why I'm doing this. And a lot of times those people, well, not a lot, I would say maybe like a quarter of the time, those people will email me back and say, you know what, Jason, I'm really sorry I said what I said. I was just having a bad day myself, and I took it out on you, and, and you know, you are doing something interesting. And now that I hear that story, like, it really makes me understand what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, it worked for Bob Dylan, right? So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I thought about changing my name so many times, and, and I would imagine many people thought about changing their last names, you know? And yeah, it's I just... I, I don't understand what's the big deal about it, right? I mean, the paperwork is huge, right, to, yeah. to, to do it. So that's probably the biggest thing about it. And it, it's funny you mention that because I had so many people email me, way more people email me that said, Jason, I can't believe someone's actually doing this. I've been in this situation for years where I've had this last name I don't want, and I, I haven't known how to get a new one or what to do with it, and you're making money doing it. This is amazing. I'm so inspired so many more of those emails than like the you're a sellout email. I mean, it's just, it's crazy how many people came out of the woodwork that said, you know, I'm going through something similar, you know, I want to sell my last name or whatever. And, and there was a small moment when I thought about kind of brokering people's last names for brands, but then I just decided I don't think it would work for the everyday person. And, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have built a following online that I could, you know, basically monetize with that sale. 
um, and get some attention for it. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't turned it into a product, you know. Uh, yeah, this it's is how you change your name, you know, steps one, two, five, or whatever. <laughs> Here's the 10-step process to selling your last name online. Yeah, I guess I could, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of know that it only really works for someone who has some following. It's not going to work for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, and were you still doing I Wear Your Shirt when uh, in 2012 and 13? Yeah, so... Um, I wear your shirt. I officially retired in May of 2013. I stopped wearing shirts after 1,437 days or something like that. Um, not that I know the number, but <laughs> it's uh, yeah. The, so the the buy my last name thing was was basically a way that I thought we could get some exposure for I wear your shirt, and it, it, it totally worked. I mean, when when I sold the last name to Headsets.com, you know, at the end of the first auction for forty five thousand um, bucks, you know, I was on Fox and Friends. I was on USA Today. I was on a lot of these news outlets, and that brought a lot of brands to I Wear Your Shirt saying, okay, we know we can't buy your last name, but like, how can we do some fun stuff together? Um, and so, so we ended up getting a lot of business from it. So then, I mean, it sounds like I Wear Your Shirt was, you know, it wasn't an easy project, but it was fun, and, it, and you succeeded with it. Um, you know, you made over a million dollars. Why did you stop it? Did you get burned out? What was the reason? Yeah, just a couple of mix of things. I mean, I, I think that when I started I Wear Your Shirt in 2009, you know, I had I had thoughts of grandeur where, um, you know, I knew I wanted to do the first year and that was going to kind of be my test. But in the back of my mind, I said, all right, well, I, you know, I want to grow this thing to 10 people in the second year and 50 in the third and 1,000 in the fourth year or whatever and, and create this new model for advertising, right? This, this word of mouth through T-shirt wearing kind of marketing idea. And what I realized was that I was putting all of my chips, if you will, on social media platforms, you know, continuing to let me post all this content in the way that everyone would see it. And as social media became more crowded, my messages got diluted. Um, you know, as my as my company got older, you know, I think people, you know, they were seeing kind of similar content, if you will, that just it wasn't as exciting to them anymore. And so, you know, I think there's a, a combination of the fact that the idea of I Rear Shirt lost some of its excitement uh, for me personally and I think for people viewing. Um, I think social media had a big change. And, you know, when Facebook changes their algorithm and my stuff doesn't show up, it's really hard to tell a brand, you know, you're going to get exposure to these people when I know deep down it's not going to happen because the reach isn't there anymore. Um, and, and so, you know, and, and I started waking up, you know, I had to let people go at one point in 2012. Uh, you know, we had bills that weren't paid in 2011 because clients didn't pay on time. And, and that stuff happens when you own a business. Everyone knows that. Um, and it just started to weigh on me. And, and I, I took a look at, you know, my situation in 2013 and said, you know what? I'm really unhappy with this. And it's not what it used to be. It doesn't work the way that it used to. I'm not getting the value out of it at all. And I know that the brands that are paying me are not getting the value that they used to get. And I got to pull the plug and I have to let go. And, and it was, I mean, super hard decision because it was basically my baby. Um, but if I would have kept going, I mean, who knows how much you know worse off I would have been just kind of you know, trying to keep this thing alive. Mm -hmm. um, I'm amazed by your creativity and just to, even just, I mean, you had multiple great ideas, but um, even just come up with one great idea is, is, is awesome. Uh, how did you develop this skill? Is this something that you, it's kind of like a muscle that you, you just <laughs> you train? Know, oh, I mean, yeah, talk a, about that. That's a good question. I, I really do think that um, there's a couple different ways that I think I can answer this question. One is that I think some of us are built and wired a certain way. And I think Gary Vaynerchuk talks about that a lot, right? It's in his DNA to do the things that he does. And I feel that it's in my DNA to do the things that I do, right? I mean, create these 
crazy ideas and, and make them work and, and hustle behind the scenes where no one sees all the effort, but I make it happen. Um, and then I do think it's also a creative muscle. Like you said, I mean, I think that you can, if everybody just took some time in the, to, in the day to, you know, kind of what you call woodshedding, where you go in to a woodshed and you sit and you focus and you do one task and you only do that thing and you, you work on that thing for hours and you become really good at that. And I think this is what like professional athletes do. And this is what, uh, you know, the greatest minds of our time do and that they turn off all other things in their life. And sometimes that means like walking away from family and relationships and other things to become really great at something. And I think there's a happy medium there, but you can work that muscle if you turn everything else off and you focus on, you know, exercising it and, and, and doing different things. And so I think creativity is one of those things where we have it within us and some of us a lot more than others. But I think it's also something where if people just gave themselves the chance to stay off of social media for a day or a week or a month, uh, you know, not check email incessantly, maybe just once a day for an hour and, and, and really focus on learning a skill or practicing something or, or, or doing actual work, um, they would learn, wow, I'm going to get so much better at whatever it is that I'm doing because I'm going to not be, you know, constantly looking at other things. I'm going to be focusing on this task at hand. So let's talk about creative, Creativity for Sale, your book. Uh, you have uh, self-published it. Um, which I really appreciate, to be honest, not going through a traditional publisher. Uh, why was why did you dis, uh, you know decide to self-publish instead of going? I'm sure you could have published something through a publishing house. Yeah, well, I, I think it was really interesting in 2013 when I like when I shut down I wear your shirt and I was kind of at a low point in life and you know both personally and professionally I was just trying to find my way and, and what my thing was, what my next thing I was going to do. And I met with a friend of mine and he said you know, you should write a book. You've done some crazy stuff over the years. Um, you know, I think it'd be really interesting for people to read your story. And, and you might find that in writing this book, you find your next thing. And I said, all right. Um, yeah, I think I can make that happen. So I started reaching out to some author friends and, and they said, yeah, uh, Jason, the publishing world is a little bit messed up these days. Uh, you know, big publishers, it's, it's kind of hard to get in with them. Um, you're not going to make any money up front with the book. If you do get an advance, um, it's basically a loan, and you have to sell a certain amount of books to actually get that money back. Um, and, and just I started looking at all this stuff. And, you know, I had a lot of people tell me, you know, publishers are going to change your story. They're going to write it the way that they want it. They're going to they're gonna pick the book cover that they want. They're going to have all the say. And I just all of that stuff just made me, like, throw my hands up and go, no way. Like, I'm not doing that, George. So, um, I basically, Plus, it takes about two years, right, to publish well, a book, at yeah, least. The, the process is really slow and for some. I think some publishers are probably way faster than others. And again, I, I haven't had any firsthand experience. I'm just going off what friends who work with publishers have told me. Um, but I, I just wanted, I wanted to control everything. I'm a control freak. You know, I, I've run my businesses the way I've wanted to run them, and, and I knew that about myself and that it would drive me nuts if someone told me I couldn't put a story about how I met my girlfriend in my book. Right. Like they'd be like, oh, this doesn't matter to the story that you're telling. You know, that would I would freak out. So it's almost like you become an employee instead exactly. of an entrepreneur and controlling your own destiny. Exactly. When you be, right. I mean, yeah. someone else is your is a gatekeeper to the information that you want to put out in the world. And, and my friend Clay Bear talks about gatekeepers a lot. And and, you know, I kind of get that from him. And so when I started to, to put the idea of the book together more as I thought about it, you know, I said, all right, well, how can I make money with a book, right? What's something that someone hasn't done? And then what's also something that I have done where these things can kind of meet in the middle? 
And so I looked at sponsorships. You know, I'd done the sponsored T-shirts. I'd done the sponsored last name. You know, I'd never seen a book with sponsorships on it. And, and since, you know, where it is now, I've, I've heard, heard from a couple of people that people have tried this, that they've done sponsored chapters or a couple of different things. But, you know, I have a sponsorship on all 200 pages of the book. It's a 140-character message. There's no logo. There's no QR code. It's just a very simple, basically footnote-style message. Um, and so I sold those pages along with the four covers of the book, the two outside covers and the two inside flaps, and made over $75,000 in five months uh, selling these sponsorships in the book. And, and that's a book advance, right? I mean, that's, that's basically money that I made before a single copy of the, of the book was sold, before a single word of the book was written. Um, that was basically just companies and people opting in and saying, Jason, I've seen what you've done over the years. I believe you're going to write a good book. I want my brand to be a part of it. And, and ideally, every book should be done like that, or every business should be done like that, right? I mean, sell before, I mean, you know, sell it and see if people are going to pay for it uh, before you even invest any more time or create a product, right? Yeah. I, mean, I, I think it's genius. This is very much the, like, the lean startup method. Exactly. I, yeah, you know, there's a lot of, you know, prove that something's going to be of value or worth and that someone will pay for it before you do it. And, and I, you know, I would be lying if I said it was easy. I mean, I didn't just send out an email and the book filled up. Um, you know, I threw emails. How many I, months did it take you to actually come up, you know, to, to sell the $75,000? Five months. So Five months. Yeah. And, and I sent out, you know, multiple emails to my lists and I responded to a lot of emails from people who came to the website. And, you know, I had a lot of phone calls with people. And so it, it took quite a bit of time to make this book happen, um, but it was worth it, right? I mean, because again, the the day that that last sponsorship and the last one that sold is funny enough was the front cover sponsorship to Treehouse. And when that sponsorship sold, I, I basically had a huge sigh of relief and said, I did this. I mean, I, I made this thing happen. Now it's time to get to work to actually write the book um, that everybody wants that, you know, to have their name in. And, and the, for the, for the audience, most books, don't ever make $75,000. I mean, I'm talking about uh, books that go through publisher, yeah. publisher ha publishing houses, right? I mean, most of them sell less than 5,000 copies and, you know, make peanuts. So, I mean, your book was more successful even before it was published than the most books out there that, that get published. And, and yeah, it's a, it's a great point that you bring up because I've read, I mean, 30 blog posts on how to make your book a bestseller on Amazon or the New York Times bestseller list or whatever. And as a self-publisher, you can't even get on the New York Times bestseller list, I just learned. So there goes that, you know, accolade that everybody wants as an author. But um, yeah, I mean, these people hustle and, you know, have all these systems and gimmicks and tricks and all these hacks that they do to reach these lists. And you're right, most of them don't even make $75,000. Even when they get to be a bestseller on Amazon, you know, maybe they're making a couple thousand bucks a month but it, it kind of tails off after a while. Um, and again, Amazon controls what books show up where, right? And, and so they're like another gatekeeper in this world of where social media changes their algorithms. We've heard about this with Amazon and the big publishers that, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a headbutting going on there. Um, and I, again, I don't want to be in the middle of that. I want to be able to say, I've got lists of people, I've got outreach, I've got things I can do, I can hustle, I can make this thing happen on my own, and I don't need an Amazon or anybody else to help me make that successful or profitable. So I don't want to put you on the spot, but um, is there maybe an action item from creativity for sale uh, for our for entrepreneurs that they can take maybe just one idea. I mean, you know, they should go out and read a book. But uh, is there something that 
that they could uh, they could take action on? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, one of the the big messages for me in the book is, you know, the, and we've we've heard this before is is the harder you work, the luckier you get. And I think that there's a very simple math equation to having a successful business and where we are in, in life right now, and that is effort equals success, right? And the more effort you put in and the more work that you do, and that doesn't mean checking social media and email and, you know, signing up for the newest, you know, thing that comes up. Um, that means actually putting in work and honing a skill and becoming better at something and creating content and putting that out into the world. And um, you're going to have success if you get better at that and you work at that and, and you really um, you know, do that. And, and that process is something where people don't, they don't want to put in the hard work, right? They want what's, what's the fastest way I can make money you know, and not have to put in any effort. And, and those things, they really just don't exist. You know, it's a lot of fluff and it's a lot of fake things that are out there. Um, and, I, and I hope that, and I know that as people have read my book, I mean, I've gotten a lot of great emails from people um, and I've been so happy to read these emails that people are like, man, I had no idea how much work you put into the things that you did. And it really made me think, you know, I thought it was just easy for you all, you know, all these years. Now I know how hard you had to work and it makes me want to work hard at the thing I'm doing. Yeah. Um, you wrote on your blog, uh, 2013 was a rough year for me. I went through some of my lowest lows and did some heavy soul searching. Can you share what those lows were? Yeah. And because you had a lot of success. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so people think everything is rosy and it's all only fun times and a lot of laughs. But yeah. can you talk about some of the lows and how did it change you or how did it change your perspective going through all that? Yeah, I mean, you know... <laughs> Early on in 2013, there was a point where, you know, I, I had to pay salaries for, you know, two employees and myself included, and I had $92 in my bank account. And I had credit card debt, and I had, you know, basically nothing in sight that said I was going to make enough money for the next month to be able to pay these people. And that was that was probably one of the hardest things to deal with, is to, is to know that people rely on you and that you can't provide for them because... Number one, I had lost some of the desire to keep the business going, but also that it just wasn't working anymore. Um, you know, and, and so you know, personally, that takes a big toll on you. And I think that I really just got caught up in a lot of the media hype for the stuff that I'd done over the years. And I kept, you know, hearing those stories and reading those things. And so you, you kind of build yourself up in your own mind and you compare yourself to the, the previous, more successful version of yourself. And it just wasn't the same anymore. Uh, and so I, I just had to take a step back, and I went to this conference in Fargo, North Dakota in May of 2013 called MisfitCon, and I heard from people who were fellow entrepreneurs and people that had been through stuff, and, um, you know, this guy Joshua Fields Milburn, who's of TheMinimalist.com, and he talked about how, you know, he had racked up this debt, and the more money that he made, he realized the more money he was spending, and, and I just, I was in those same, you know, frame of mind, and I had to change that stuff, and and so I, I just started to to peel back the layers and to share, you know, not the intimate details of my bank account, but to say I'm not happy with where I am. You know, I've been too prideful. You know, I, I've been thinking I've been really successful, and I was early on, but I haven't had that same success now. And um, everything looks great, but it's not. And I need I need help. I need to figure out how to get out of this. Um, and so that was yeah, it was really tough to to share that stuff and to put that stuff out there. But it was also you know great at the same time to help me kind of grow as a person. Okay, let's talk about um, dealing with the, the roller coaster ride of the ups and downs. One day you feel like you walk on water, the next day you feel like an idiot. Um, <laughs> has it become easier? I mean, I know I go through that as an entrepreneur, and but but um, 
And, and the big my, my, my question, I guess, is why do you think there isn't more sharing about the downs of entrepreneurship? I mean, when you read about entrepreneurs, it's always about you know how somebody sold a business or right. exited a billion dollars, and you know I know that's maybe that's the story people want to hear, but I wish there was more interest uh, uh, with the uh, with the downs and failures from people because I think that's really what makes business work. Right. I think Chris Brogan said it best, and I wish I would have said this before him, but he beat me to it, is that no one wants to see your before pictures, you know? And, and when you talk about, like, you know, we see these fitness photos online all the time of, like, this before photo and this after photo and, like, how amazing this person looks afterwards. And, and that's what the media does with entrepreneurship is they talk about the the Instagrams making a billion dollars and the WhatsApps making this money and Facebook going IPO and, and all this stuff. And they don't talk about, all right, well, what happened, like, a year ago with those people and why was there no article written about when they were a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt and it looked like they were going to have to close their doors like where were you when they were going through that and why weren't you sharing that story and, and it's just because unfortunately George people don't want to read that stuff you know it's you and I would appreciate it because we can relate to it and and it's something that like we could learn from and maybe we could get some value from but the, the media and and kind of people reading all of this stuff they don't want that stuff they want the, the great success stories and I think that's a lot of just kind of our American culture um, that, that you know dictates that, and that's what we strive for. And so you know, I've I've tried to just be way more real and relatable with my content, and and I know that you know I write for some publications, and and I try to make sure that the stuff that I'm putting out there is not just the here's the perfect path to success stuff anymore, um, because it's it's not perfect and it's not all rosy like you said. Um, and I think more of that stuff does need to put out there. And, and I'm not sure if that shift is going to continue with other people, uh, because I think, unfortunately, the things that get the page views and get the ad dollars spent on them are the big success stories. You know, because it's so interesting that we have all these, you know, how to write a title, you know, that right. that is going to grab attention. And those titles, they all look the same. Yep. It's it's They're exciting and, and boring at the same time, because <laughs> it's the seven ways of this and the five, six secrets yeah. of that and the ten tips to do this. And and sometimes I, I you know, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, it's just something that I've been thinking about for a while. Yep. Uh, tell me what was the best advice that you have ever received? Mm. Um, you know, my, my buddy Shane Mack um, was really helpful last year when I was kind of through my low times. And, and he's, he lives out in San Francisco, and he's had a couple successful startups he's been a part of and has a new one called Skedaddle that's really cool. And he, he basically just told me, you know, just ask. Right. Just those two simple words, just ask. And, and I've kind of turned that into my life motto, which is you don't get what you don't ask for. Um, you know, and, and that's whether that's a big client for your business, whether that's someone to help you do your thing. But the thing that's been really helpful for me is is to just, you know, not think I can do everything myself and to realize that there are a lot of people that are out there, you know, family included, who've been through a lot of this stuff and have experienced a lot of these things. And if you just ask them for their help and support, they can really help you get through years of, of struggle because they can say, hey, here's how to avoid this or here's what this is going to feel like. You probably want to do the opposite. What do you think is the biggest time waster for entrepreneurs? Social media. <laughs> and it's funny because I built my living on social media and I built my name on social media, but like the value of social media has plummeted. I mean, there's really almost no value because of the way that we interact with these um, these networks, right? I mean, if you look at anybody on their phone looking at Twitter or Facebook, their finger 
is scrolling at a speed that could start a fire, right? I mean, it's just, it's so fast. And how is your message going to resonate or, or do that? And, and why do you need to read so much of that stuff? I mean, we're, we're literally dumbing ourselves down because we're, we're over-consuming um, all this information. And I think that there are so many talented entrepreneurs out there who, who focus on just consuming all day long instead of creating. And, and you can learn so much more from creating than you can from learning all the seven tips blog posts and the four ways to do these things. Um, and, and I think that that's just, it's, social media is so great in so many ways, but it's also so hurtful in so many ways because of how much time we spend and how much effort we put into consuming all that content. So you, you have had a lot of uh, success in business, and let's say you have a friend or a family member that has a job now and wants to become an entrepreneur. What would be the first thing that you would teach that person if they came to you for help? You know, I think you know, one of the things, and I, I talk about this in my book, is you've got to find the thing, and, and Simon Sinek says this, is like, what's your why? You have to find the thing that gets you up in the morning out of bed and like you're just so excited to work on, whatever that thing is. Um, you know, and I... I'm really, I'm really excited to talk to entrepreneurs who come to me for you know consulting or whatever, and and they're just so fired up about their idea, but they're not sure how to put the the puzzle pieces together for it, right? And and I think that's that's the start. You you have to have that foundation that don't just go into an idea and do it because someone else made money doing that and you think you could do that, but go into it because it's something that you can pour all your effort into and you'll be really excited about. Um, and, you know, and then start building. And, and again, like we talked about earlier, you know, I think the Lean Startup, it's probably one of the most boring books I've read in the past year, but it's also probably one of the best because it really shows you this kind of this new model for selling things, especially in the Internet age of if people don't buy it, you, you, you got to take a step back and look at why people aren't buying it. Don't just keep trying to push it and get more people to look at it thinking that, oh, well, it just needs more people to see it for people to buy it. No, there's a reason why if you show it to 10 people and none of them want to buy it you're missing out on some opportunities there. So I think those are a couple of places I would start. I don't I want to ask just one question about my my business success harbor. What do you think would be would help make it a little bit different than other uh, sites that interview entrepreneurs because I mean, I love doing it but at the same time I create all this unique content uh you know uh, interviewing entrepreneurs and but I want to have a twist. I want to have something, you know. Well, you know, success harbor is a little bit different. Why do you think I should think about think about my business to have you know more creativity and maybe to come up with a different angle based on your business experience? Yeah, I mean, I think for especially people doing um, you know interview series and stuff. I mean, no offense to Success Harbor, but there's a, there's an interview series out there you know, for entrepreneurs from many people, right? So mm -hmm. yeah, I yeah, exactly. I think you need to find what it is that really excites you about talking to entrepreneurs and, and what you can really pull out of them that other people aren't pulling, right? And I think you've asked some great questions today. Um, and I think some of the best interviews that I've done are when people do, they don't just have a scripted list of questions and they segue into each one differently, but it's where they really try and dive deeper and, and figure out like what's making this entrepreneur tick that people can take away from that. Um, and to me, I think that's where some people are having the most success with podcasting or interviewing or, or any of these things. Um, so, yeah, I would just challenge you to say, like, what's what's the thing that you can do or the, the way that you can interview someone that's interesting or different or unique? Um, that You know, it's not just asking questions about what they've done, but it's really like diving into to what makes them tip, tick. Or maybe it's something completely separate. You know, maybe it's with every entrepreneur you talk to, you want to figure out 
you know, what's their lifestyle and how can people adapt that lifestyle to, to their lives? You know, it's, it's, I think it's finding that little, that little sweet spot of, of the thing that you can really pull out of people. That's great. That's great. Uh, Jason, I want to thank you for coming on uh, Success Harbor today. I'm, I'm so, so stoked that you share your story because so many people see, you know, I remember years ago I saw uh, an, an interview with you and I thought, you know, this guy's a genius and, you know, everything is great, right? And, and that's never the story. I mean, you can look at any business, any successful business, and it's not all rosy and it's not perfect. So I, I think people need to hear that, that even if you have success, there is a lot of struggles. And, and I'm, I'm so excited that you shared it. How can people uh, find out more about Creativity for Sale or connect with you or find out more about you? Yeah, I, w- I would love for people to grab the book, you know, shameless plug, uh, find Creativity for Sale on Amazon and, and grab it on Kindle or paperback. Um, and then also I've got a little catch-all website called jasondoesstuff.com because that's what I do. I do stuff. So um, that has all my social media links and, and email if people want to reach out. And, and I would love to hear from some of the Success Harbor listeners um, you know, who just want to learn more about my story and maybe what they're doing and what they're up to. So, uh, yeah, jasondoesstuff.com and, and find the book on Amazon. So everyone out there, check out Creativity for Sale. Jason is somebody that actually did all that. There's a lot of people that write a lot of books, but, but Jason is actually somebody that has done all that. So I think his story is awesome. So check it out. Jason, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me, George.